So, well, it was so lovely to uh, when I can't remember which quiz show it was I was doing, but it was uh, Mastermind. I'd, it might have been Mastermind, but yeah. So I'd, I'd, I've done a couple, and whenever I can, I try and sort of um, put the pot towards action for stammering children because. Uh, we uh, so I actually dug out my notes because uh, I've had quite a hectic day and I was trying to remember all the sort of timeline exactly of when we started um, noticing that my son had a stammer um, and it was 2014 so my son is now uh, 10 years old so in 2014 this was just before his fourth birthday we initially attended the Michael Palin Centre and um, a, a couple of things I suppose that I should say before we start is that I feel I've been unbelievably lucky and blessed to have encountered Action for Stammering Children and the Michael Palin Centre quite early on in, uh, you know, in, in the process of kind of helping John with stammering. And I know for a lot of people, you know, and, and our stories are very different, Samira, aren't they? I know that you sort of had a lot more trouble accessing help at the beginning and stuff so I, I do feel like I'm so I, I know how incredibly lucky I am that uh, we were uh, my son was at nursery and he is my second child and so my daughter had been a very early talker and a very keen talker and remains so to this day, very much like the rest of the family. I, by the way, for anyone who doesn't know me, I'm a stand-up comedian um, and my husband is an actor and we're, you know, talking is our thing. And so uh, when our daughter arrived and we were all chatting and talking over each other and talking really fast as happens in our house, um, that sort of seemed normal to me. And then my son came along only 14 months later, which was, um, you know, that was an intense time <laughs> in all our yeah. lives. In any way, yeah. So, uh, so um, but I suppose, I don't know whether it's because, you know, obviously with your firstborn, you're sort of watching every little milestone and you're kind of more alert to, because Emily had had some sort of, other medical problems when she was very young so we were sort of very sort of hovering helicopter parenting with her and then it was actually the nursery with John who said we think that his speech is because he he was quiet and I but I hadn't really thought it would be I'd sort of noticed that he just wasn't speaking as quickly as Emily had I suppose and, and that he was just a quieter child but so really it was um, the nursery, the brilliant nursery we went to, we were renting a flat in Camden at the time and the um, children's centre nursery uh, were fantastic and said they're, you know, we can help to sort of signpost you to places. And we ended up uh, at the Michael Palin Centre in January, 2015. So when he John was how he was only four. He'd only just turned four. Oh, nice and early. Really early. But actually, even between the nursery saying something and our first appointment, it, it very quickly things had kind of deteriorated in terms of really? John being able to express himself. And um, it, he has had very sort of different types of stammer and different kind of 
issues with speech and stuff over the years and he by the way is very happy for me to talk about this yes know, no because that's very important him. yeah thank and, you uh, he's very grateful to the, the Michael Palin Centre and loves everybody there and thinks they're brilliant and really good fun so um so yeah he uh so yeah so he he kind of started with sort of a little bit of just not speaking very much and then he um has had sort of repetition of parts of words has been quite a, a feature of his speech um and also just getting completely stuck and not being able to speak at all and that obviously is quite distressing for yes. him and distressing to watch as a parent and so i by the time we got to the Michael Palin Centre, I was just hugely relieved because I could see how upset he was getting and how difficult it was for him. Really, so that was um, that was in twenty yeah twenty fifteen. And, and so, yeah, give us a sense of just sort of since then, then in brief, what's been the sort of you know what's changed? What sort of therapy were you getting, and, and what's been the impact? Yeah, so we had uh, the first thing that we had was a six week course of Palin parent-child interaction therapy, which meant that we went to uh, meetings together, John and I and my husband sometimes and my daughter as well. So there were whole family sessions and there were somewhere it was, I mean, I think mostly it was just me and him. And we would uh, just chat and play and uh, and then we were sort of given homework to do between sessions and it was you know immediately seemed to be sort of incredibly helpful and then we had follow-ups there every couple of months and then um it uh then we sort of had a couple of years we moved out of the out of the Whittington catchment area out of the Whittington yeah. catchment area thank you uh, and it was um uh and then in June 2019 um we were re-referred um even though we'd relocated because you know it was felt that since John had been treated at the microphone centre it might be better to go back there and uh, so cool. it was brilliant and so then we went back and had another course there and then we were handed over to our local speech and language therapy service where we were meant to have uh, some stuff uh, in 2020 but we all know what happened there so uh, we yeah so to... what impact that has of course a lot of people who might have been getting some therapy have suddenly found that the lockdown then suddenly changed everything yeah well and then actually subsequently we had a, a three-part group therapy session booked of which the first one was cancelled because the therapist had COVID. The second one we cancelled because John had COVID. And so he managed to do one session. So that's my story in a nutshell. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I wanted to take us both back to recall is that period at the beginning, you know, before you begin therapy and, and actually what state the family's in. And I know in my case, it's slightly different. My son had been, the nursery had spotted his situation when he was about four, but it wasn't obvious it was a stammer mm -hmm. it was just he seemed to have fluency issues you know like he wasn't able to articulate certain sounds and 
we got a, a private speech therapist who'd working at the nursery and then we we kind of continued to see her privately and after a while she just said you know his stammer was getting worse it became obvious it was a stammer but by the time he actually got referred to the Michael Palin Centre we had to fight you know we couldn't get any funding for the NHS they just kept you know not answering emails and just all those mm -hmm. nightmares that people have with postcode lotteries mm -hmm. and then Elaine I remember going to see Elaine and actually the first time I actually cried just realizing I was talking to somebody who understood mm -hmm. and we got on the two-week residential course with a, about a dozen one girl, 11 boys. I mean, you know, one of those great kind of mysteries about why stammering seems to affect mainly boys. But he was um, 11, just about to turn 12. And those two weeks just changed our lives. And I realized how much we've been carrying. Yeah. The stress within the family. And I've got to say, all my well-meaning relatives, like my mother, they've all got an opinion, don't they? Until you've had a diagnosis. And, oh, why doesn't he just take a deep breath? And did you have any of that coming from your family? You know, who thought they knew? Yes. And I mean, I, of course, felt incredibly guilty. And I was like, well, it's probably my fault in some way. And of course, you know, there were members of my... In fact, it's, I mean, my mum was very good, actually. And this sort of... My, yeah, my dad, I think, felt that it was probably something that he could talk him out of. So we had just not sort of him sitting down and saying, look, just what you've got to do is just think about what you want to say and take your time. And it's which is true. I mean, actually, those are good. You know, you do have to think about what you say and take your time. But it's not, um, you know, it's not as simple as that. But uh, yeah. Yeah. You mentioned guilt. I mean, you and I, by interesting coincidence, both talk for a living and I talk really fast. And yeah. we, you know, I also grew up in a home where we talked over each other all the time. And so there was an element of having to unlearn that, but find a way of making it natural. And every so often I still consciously have to rein myself back in because when my son's not around, although his stammer, you wouldn't know it probably that he has a stammer now. Mm -hmm. I know that if I'm not careful, I could start speaking of where he might have just been taking a pause so that how did that affect your family dynamic especially like you we, I have a daughter as well and you know who doesn't have a stammer and I always worry about what's it like for that other child and how does the family dynamic get affected when you've got a child with a stammer who's sort of to some extent getting particular kind of attention uh, and medical mm. therapy well I think because Emily had had sort of attention you know she'd had medical attention but she couldn't really remember it and so uh, she yeah I mean I think that you know I think she would admit herself that she felt a little bit kind of pushed out and a little bit you know suddenly because it was quite sudden onset as well I think I did panic slightly and thought gosh I, I've just got, if I just spend enough time Jill Golding has said the guilt comment is interesting did the Michael Palin course also address this and yeah go ahead and it was amazing. I mean, actually, what was brilliant about it was it did feel like it was beneficial for my general parenting. Yeah. And for and like you say, it's really interesting you say about just crying. And I, I mean, I always so if anyone's kind to me, I always cry because I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm a bit of a weeper. But um, but I was incredibly tearful and grateful. You and... realize how much you've been bottling up as a parent. Mm you know, your own anxieties about your child. I, I mean, I saw there was a, Lay might even remember, there was a poster, a signed poster of the King's speech outside her office after I'd come in for my first consultation. And she said, look, we could find a way to fund his place without you having to have your NHS funding. And I came out and I saw a signed poster and I just cried. Oh, I know. I know. Well, I can't, I haven't actually, I can't watch it because I'm too My, so, my son has never been able to sit through that film. Yeah. No. I, I mean, it was... It, 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 Why it should was, they? 
no well I suppose I mean you know they're maybe when like they know what it's like exactly yeah but there was a lot of what I liked what I really liked about it was that it did it sort of laid my guilt a little bit and made me feel as you say like you know this is something we've been carrying alone that other people might be able to help with um but also it did sort of it it was really fun and uplifting and positive and you know and there was a lot of emphasis on people this does get better and this does this isn't something that is necessarily a huge blight or because I think there was an element of shame actually with my dad a little bit that it was a bit like this is a you know I I, I can't imagine what he would be you know like a defect or something something horrible you know that sort of old language and I well I I'm interested you chose that word um sorry I didn't know yeah no, no, no. Your sentence, but um I think I told you the other day my mother's 75th birthday was coming up my mother we had a big party for her and all the grandchildren just six grandchildren they were all giving speeches or performing something and of course at that stage my son wasn't able to speak in public at all I mean at school it was he couldn't say his name and register the school came up with the system where you put your hand up when your name was called and so she felt as someone who's a again my mother's an actress so you know got a family of performers I think she felt like oh but for him not to be able to make a speech at my birthday it's like this is a huge regret of hers and I just said well he can't right now and um you know what's interesting is he's become a, a great joker since he he the stammering therapy helped him find his confidence and the school actually had to write and tell us he has to kind of rein in the comedy he can't just be mucking about in class all the time even though it's lovely to have him talking so he went from one extreme to the other yeah. but that that issue of the parents or your grandparents or other relatives feeling that there's something wrong and, and if only he were he or she were fixed yeah, and it would yeah. all be fine as if they need to be fixed in a in some kind of mechanical way which is not at all no. how we feel about our children the stammer is part of who they are you know yeah, and I mean, I suppose when I first went to the Michael Palin Centre, I kind of thought, oh, well, they'll tell me why it's happening. <laughs> and then, you know, we can <laughs> we can work out what to do. And it was a bit of a rude awakening, kind of going, oh, of course, nobody, you know, I mean, I hadn't really, because also it happened so quickly. I hadn't even done Dr. Google and, and you know, normally I would have been with, with Emily's medical issues. I was constantly looking at, you know, what, what caused things and everything. But, um, but yeah, I, I sort of, I think I was a bit like, oh, okay, this is just something that will probably come and go. And that was really useful to know because it felt like it had been getting worse and worse. And then, you know, we had the therapy and it got better, but I was prepared for the fact that it might, you know, things might come and go. And really, I mean, it it's amazing. Like now, John has periods, long periods where, as you say with your son like you would have no idea that he'd ever had a stammer and but then it just comes back and we don't know why and it's it's always slightly frustrating when it does but he's definitely learned how to sort of to know that this is not probably going to be the same forever so that's Mm. sort of quite a nice thing and he also like your son is a big talker and a joker and uh, so I, I do feel like the great thing about the therapy he's had is that it has really increased his confidence and because a lot of it is quite playful as well and it's you know you're encouraged to laugh about the stutter or you know sort of treat it with levity rather than it being this awful burden or you know which isn't always easy to do obviously but um but you know, sometimes it's it's fine 
to yeah. sort of be just be quite relaxed and quite casual about it well we had the benefit in my course but of course there was you know a load of us parents in a room mm. all sharing our own stories and people have come from Aberdeen from Gloucestershire all over the country it was quite moving you know mm. it's a huge sacrifice as well to give up two weeks entirely of their life to bring you know the child down and come um but then the children were all together as well and I just remember seeing them muck about in the playground um and that's that idea of you know suddenly being in a room with a whole bunch of other people who completely get what it is to have a stammer and yet every single stammer was unique yeah um you know and and yeah I found that quite powerful just that sense of solidarity with other people like the first time in my life we were in a room with other families who understood yeah yeah I mean I suppose we've not um John's done this one sort of group therapy but it turned out there was only one other boy there which was um which was a shame but uh but yeah I mean it has it's interesting the the type of stammer like you say everybody you meet has a different experience and even John himself has had different types of stammering over the years but one thing in fact I was saying to you the other day the one thing that's always been interesting to me is that when he sings he has complete fluency and always has that's magical I was one of these you know mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not saying that anyone would you know choose to have stammer but given that our children have something unique about them in this way it's like there's a great almost a beautiful mystery about mm. it when my son was very little he, I would hear him through the door talking fluently to his toys oh, and yet gosh. he couldn't get a sound out in yeah. public well, we and I to, just thought wow it's amazing that we had um the first day at uh, at school we all went in and we had a day, you know, meeting the teachers and the teacher said, would any of the children, you know, if they want to, they don't have to, but if they want to get up and say something about themselves, then, you know, they're welcome to or tell a joke or something. And so all the kids have got their hands up immediately and she's going around picking. And I'm thinking at that time, John was really struggling. And I was thinking, oh, I know he's so keen to be picked, but there was a bit of me thinking, oh, gosh, you know, I'm a bit worried as a parent. This is the first time he's meeting all his classmates. But anyway, so everyone else got up and they told little jokes or they talked about their pets or whatever. And John just got up and said, I'm going to sing a song. In fact, I didn't even said I'm going to sing a song. I think he just started singing a song by... um, it's a song called In the Middle of the Forest by a man called Nick Cope, and it's incredibly long. And it's a story about a witch who lives in the middle of the forest and she's got a <laughs> dragon called Keith, and then it's all about who else. So, and it took forever. And I mean, I was sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, this yeah. is a bit, you know, it's, this is a bit lengthy, but it was just lovely that he expressed himself in a different way, you know. Yeah. One of the issues can be how school and particularly other children in the school behave. My son was um, very lucky. He had a very supportive small school and they very quickly were on it and they came up with strategies when, for example, he couldn't say his name in assembly uh, and got him involved in school plays by having non-speaking parts. What was your experience with John in terms of schooling? Because I know some of the kids on our course had a really not a nice experience with bullying Mm. and just, you know, being in a very big school where there wasn't time or interest. And then, well, again, I think we were sort of quite lucky that we got it early on and we've been unbelievably lucky with our primary school, which is, is a really nice school and they have an autism, uh, sort of specialist autism unit within the school. So the kids are sort of quite used to difference and talking about why people are different and how people express themselves differently. And uh, I think that's been incredibly helpful. And the only, I mean, the only times that 
John has faced any sort of bullying or unpleasantness really has been outside of school his classmates have been unbelievably helpful but yeah it's been I mean I don't know it's just the things like at I remember being at a soft play and there were just a group of children kind of mocking it you know they'd heard him speak and they were kind of mocking him stammering and I you know what did you do if I may ask because I've got my own story so I'd be interested to know as as a mum what you do I, I like thought I, I mean I, I what I did was stood there biting through my fingers and thinking what am I going to do should I go and talk to the parents should I what should I do and then luckily before I had to act my daughter intervened and oh it was it's so lovely and she just said well, you can leave my brother alone thank you very much and uh, got rid of them so your block your daughter how wonderful <laughs> um well my is slightly different in that we we'd been for a session at the Michael Palin Center and he and I were on the upper deck of a bus going up upper street and he was talking to me but you know his stand was very 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 strong and you know your son had kind of you know um there'd be sort of physical twitches as he was trying to get his sounds out that's how bad it was at the time and I suddenly realized because he had noticed there was an adult woman just an ordinary woman you know not not super young or anything just probably in her 30s or 40 no 40s she was like you know old enough in any sense no better staring at my son like he was a curiosity in a in a freak show and I was I suddenly felt huge anger but also kind of huge sadness because I thought what can I do you know I can't go and shout at her she's not said anything she's not mm. done anything but how insensitive and thoughtless like it's so obvious my son has a stammer yeah. like you know what is there to say and yet you're going to stare at him and that's when I suddenly felt very protective and yeah so that that that's always that's a kind of haunting memory and I I don't know if I asked him about it later and said, how do you feel? But I think we just we just chose to ignore it. Mm. And I may have said something like, you know, there will be idiots. There always are idiots yeah. who they see something which is a little bit different and they they have no common sense. Mm. Um, well, and schools are so it. hot on bullying. And like I do feel like my kids have a very different uh, experience of you know I mean we were obviously always told oh you know stand up to the bullies or you've got to sort of uh find coping mechanisms and whereas at their school like there's just so much around bullying and there is so much about don't make fun of people for being different to you yeah that I sort of think yeah I kind of feel slightly blessed I mean obviously they're still at primary school so you know I'm I mean I've had really nice experiences as well. Shall I balance out with a nice? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, we were queuing um, at uh, an ice cream van on one of the hottest days of the years, a couple of years ago. And John had had a bit of a sort of relapse of, of stammering and was feeling, and he was sort of, I knew he was feeling a little bit self-conscious about it. And we were queuing for the ice cream van and then and someone else had called me over and then I realized oh my gosh he's got to the front of the queue and I kind of I was racing over thinking oh my gosh you know oh, this is what there's loads of people waiting and he was really struggling and um and the ice cream man and I, I kind of again I sort of thought I'm going to rush over and say oh he wants a 99 with a flake but uh, <laughs> but I didn't I sort of held back because I thought well now he started I don't want to you know interrupt him 
and uh, and the ice cream man was just delightful and was so patient and so you know even though he's obviously got a million customers to serve and all the people around you know nobody complained or said anything in a situation that I was in I just I could feel the anxiety rising so um yeah so there's sort of times like that you just think oh god there are good people in the world as well yeah that, that awareness there's a question that Jill Golding's put in another great question what would you say to your younger selves would do differently I think this is one of the reasons I'm involved in the charity is that I just want to raise awareness so that parents know much much earlier that action for stammering children is out there and you can straight away get onto the helpline you can go to the website if I had known to just come looking here straight away and I think of how many years I spent you know struggling with the forms of therapy luckily having a therapist who said you need to talk to action for stammering children because the Michael Palin Centre might be the place that can help you there's nothing more I can do and um, mm. but you know we we were we were guided there and I'd like people to be able to find a network of support that's what I would do differently is just make sure I found out about stuff earlier I don't know what would you say yeah I mean obviously we were quite lucky in that we did get in very early but um I I suppose I'm trying to think what I really I mean I think is there anything I would have done differently um I suppose it I kind of do feel a little bit like, oh, I should have realised sooner to involve Emily in everything. So, like, actually having two children, I, I think I had sort of concentrated a bit on John. And then actually it was brilliant because, as we've established, my daughter is a fierce defender and champion of her brother. Um, and so then we started doing more kind of... We did a thing called Special Time, which was where I would make sure just that every day I had a bit of time with John so that we could talk uninterrupted, you know, not looking at a screen, not doing anything else. And um, and then we started doing that with Emily as well. And I think involving the whole family a bit more, because I think I did go a little bit like, I will sort this, I feel guilty, this is my problem, That's I'll sort it out. Interesting. That is interesting. Well, do you know, there is the heavy lifting of taking your child to appointments, scheduling things, making them in the case of, uh, I don't know if this will use that Tarzan video where they, they're reading the Tarzan, very, the, the oh, section yeah. of script very slowly and you, you kind of make every very sad. I'm going to bring Elaine in later to explain a bit about because I know she's watching all this and thinking, oh, I know I've seen many parents go through this. But I remember being that bit of a nag with my son and saying, you have to do this every day. Like it's the only thing I'm going to make you do is we've you've agreed to do this course and you know it's essential. And it's like, you know, it's the awful thing was there's an element of it's like violin practice. Like if you don't practice every day, it's never going to get better. But this is your stammer. And it's the one thing where I felt I had to be that mum who was on his case but you know I know he looks back and is glad mm. because you know it his life has been transformed but yeah that's the thing I found as a parent like oh you know but he was you know if I hadn't if I had pushed it he might have let it lapse and then there would have been the double frustration of not getting better despite having this new level of therapy so I, I think that's an interesting negotiation isn't it between parent and child about yeah the well, homework I think because... side of it I, you know, I was acutely aware of how lucky we were to be having this and what an amazing opportunity it was to be sort of seeing a therapist so regularly and to sort of be getting the, the best help possibly available. Yeah. And, and I was quite excited about it. So I think I sort of kind of hopefully was transferring that enthusiasm, but it is, yeah, I mean, it is difficult because it is homework and it is, 
it is work sometimes. Yeah. Um, I'm just reading a lovely comment from Siobhan Ward. I hope you don't mind me being in this meeting as I'm not a mum of a child with a summer. I'm a speech therapist. We are so glad you are here. Mm. Absolutely thrilled. Um, we've made a film to show other children and adults to help them know how to respond when people stammer. It's called My Stammering Tap and is on the website. So thank you for that. And it's a really lovely video Stephen was saying. So please do take the chance to have a look at it. Um, and there's another kind of guilt thing, which is it's a bit of a confession for me. But I think I, I feel I want to share it, which is, you know, it caused tensions, I have to say, between me and my um, my partner. And, you know, in rows, mm -hmm. you know, he would say, you know, it was definitely someone to say this. He said, it's your fault that our son mm -hmm. stammers. And that was, you know, it came at the heat of the moment. And I, mm -hmm. I don't think he really meant it. And I, I didn't believe it. But I think I can't believe that's not happened to other people mm -hmm. where you realize there's this stress underneath that you've been carrying around in some cases for years. And, you know, the course we did, our children all just started secondary school. They were all in year seven. So you had that additional issues of adolescence going up to big school. So mm. there was a lot of things that parents were carrying, I think. Yeah. yeah. And I think all those frustrations, I mean, anything that's sort of difficult in the family is, yeah. I mean, it, it's, I think it, trying not to create sibling rivalry is something that you know we've discussed but yeah also just not feeling I mean as with all sort of work really trying not to feel like you're carrying the lion chair if it can be really hard well, sometimes. talk to me a bit about you know you said you felt it was your problem to fix I know I was the one who was rushing around to make appointments and you know driving him backwards forwards and taking the train into London and we live in South London so coming into the Michael Palin Centre you know it was you know, because we had some weekly uh, therapies as well. And I was, you know, there was never any doubt it was going to be me who was going to compromise my work schedule because I had, you know, my priority was was Irene. And I sometimes felt that, you know, obviously it could be a different parent within any any couple. But I sometimes suspect that one parent rather than the other is doing the lion's share and whether that can, you know, be something a bit tough, even if it's partly self-inflicted, I don't know. Well, also what we found really difficult is because we have obviously as I say my husband's an actor who I do stand-up comedy we don't have a fixed work schedule which in some ways is incredibly helpful in that it probably makes it easier to get to some appointments but to commit to a course of something is kind of, it does mean one of us has to say well we will not take any work or you know mm. we will uh, so so that was a bit of a kind of oh who's going to do this you or me um and it you know it did end up being me but uh, i i sort of but we have i think both you know justin has been the one who's sort of taken him to quite a lot of them as well and i think that is it is good as well for you know i think for john to see that everybody cares about it and it's a you know we're all there to help him and support him i suppose yeah and it's a long-term process i can't work out and pin down exactly when you know my son suddenly didn't seem to have a stammer anymore most of the time mm. it was a very very slow gradual process um and you know huge amount of work by him um but i look back and i just think how our lives are like the whole family just felt something lifting off our shoulders mm. um elaine you've been sitting there and you know the conscious you've been in the room with so many of us and have had god knows how many parents cry in front of you um so i'd love to know you know your thoughts about from your point of view when you've seen parents coming in at the beginning of their journey and and you know how what you make of it and any insights into 
how how the Michael Palin Center and the work of actually stammering children has helped helped us transform our children's lives. It's been brilliant to hear from both of you. And um, thank you for all the lovely things you've said about the therapy that you've received. And I think what, there's a couple of things that have struck home for me. One is that you're talking about parental guilt. And I think parents do blame themselves. And I might even stick my neck out and say mothers often, you know, take the lion's share of that, you know, that they think it should be they, they who have, uh, should have done something differently. I guess uh, if I'd breastfed my child as if like, and I had, and he still had a stammer. Well, and the trouble is stammering can just suddenly come out of nowhere. You know, a child may be talking without any stammering and then suddenly they start, start to stammer and the parent will think, what did I do or what did I not do? And that's such a fallacy because we know now from the research that stammering is not caused by anything parents do or don't do. Stammering is a neurological condition, which in many cases is inherited. And parents can do masses to help their children, but they're not doing something to cause it. Um, and so it was, you know, it's really, it's, it's a real challenge for us to get that message across so that you can actually feel like, um, no, you didn't cause it and you are being fabulous by bringing your child in the way that you have and making all those sacrifices that you've been talking about is just a wonderful thing gift to your child and the other thing I think that you would you've been talking about is that you know quite often one parent will take uh, a greater responsibility and one of the things we really try to do is involve both parents as much as possible. Yeah, tell me about that Elaine because that's something really significant you know about making both parents come and why you made that decision yeah. on those courses. We've we have always done that but we're very aware it's a very big ask to say to one parent please come for a whole morning and uh, participate in an assessment with your child is in itself quite an ask if people have a job and things like that or they've got children to take care of to say to both parents we want you for an assessment is a big ask but we know that when we do that we will do a really good job a of getting a clear idea of the picture for the child and the family and b of then engaging both parties in the process that's going to be helpful so it's it's so important we've always done it that way we one of the things that Michael Palin Center spends a lot of time doing is training other therapists because we don't want to be one little sort of silo where people can get help we want people to have help across the UK and beyond so we're always trying to train therapists to treat the child within the context of the family not you certainly can't just treat the child on their own you need the child and in our view, both parents to be involved. But we do realize that in some families that's hugely difficult. And Samira, what you did by giving up two weeks of your life and you know your child's father doing the same to be a part of his therapy, you know, for some families that's just not really a very doable option. We set up a Facebook group, and although we don't see each other, we, we're all on it. We still post for each other's birthdays and just watching our children. It's been 10 years, so they're all in, they're like 22 now. But Fantastic. it's lovely yeah. to have had that bond. You it's know, great. What the commitment that you you mothers have put into your children's therapy is wonderful. So yeah, and so I hope that you can actually stop feeling guilty about anything you ever may not have done or and, and know that, that um, you've just been incredibly helpful to your boys. Oh, Elaine, thank you so much. Um, and Lucy, so there's a couple of the other things I've been quite interested in is um, 
one of the things that actually Elaine, you might have a view on this is the importance of kind of having confidence in the therapy that's working for you. I know that at the time that my family was coming through the center, there'd been one of those documentaries and there was a child in it. I think it was the Educator Yorkshire, you had to stand that. And there was all these therapies that, who's that guy, Gareth Gates, who's wearing belts and things. And some of these physical therapies, you know, which come from different places and they're quite controversial. And I must say, I thought, oh my God, I'm so glad that no one was suggesting to us put a belt on and do breathing exercises. That, everything about the, the therapy that the action for submarine children was supporting and funding and the training of therapists that the charity supports including through the Michael Palin Center seemed to be I don't know I mean I know it's controversial to say that there's no one proven therapy but I do feel that the approach of the Michael Palin Center and that the action for submarine children charity funds is particularly rich and therapeutic and family focused and it isn't about dare I say it gimmicks I don't know. That's too controversial thing to say. Uh, you're going to try and get me in hot water here. <laughs> I don't want to get you in hot water, but um, but certainly, I, well, we could certainly say that you know the approach that um, that the Michael Palin Centre and Action for Summary Children take is focused on the whole family, and it isn't about treating yeah. stammering as a, as an isolated medical issue. Is that yeah. fair? Absolutely. I think what um, our approach is, it's treating the whole child, not just the child's mouth and the whole child within the context of the whole family and including schools and things like that, if necessary. And so some of those other approaches might be a bit more focused on the act of speaking. And yes, speech and language therapy can teach people to speak in a different way. And that thing that you were talking about earlier, Samira, where we had them learn to do that very slow, prolonged speech, those sorts of things can really help somebody who stammers in moments of struggle, but they're not something you can just go away and do for the rest of your life. And mm. so therapy needs to be much more holistic than that in order for it to have any kind of lasting impact. And, and what we're really trying to do is get somebody who stammers to feel confident that they can get out there and do what they want to do, whether or not they're stammering, because it doesn't have to get in the way. And so that's why our therapy is not just about what they're doing with their mouths. It's mm. much bigger than that. Elaine, thank you so much. And another great question from Jill. Do you not feel guilty for asking questions? Sorry to keep asking questions, but what would be your top tips? I think you said not talking over and slowing down. I mean, in a weird way, we're just the parents. What do we know? But I do think consciously, it's changed my thinking. I do try and don't always succeed, as you can tell, to not finish other people's sentences and not talk over people. But I do still talk very fast. What about you, Lucy? What are your top tips? Oh, well, my whole career is basically so you know if I'm on a panel show like you know the news quiz on Radio 4 or you know um, QI or something if you you know that it can be quite a competitive arena with other stand-ups and so you're you know you're always trying to get your word in and so you know I sort of learned to talk over other people professionally to sort of make my voice heard as Partly often as a they, woman, I have to well, say, I'm in meetings. If you don't speak up, you know, they just, it's like they didn't hear you. Yeah. So that's an added complication as a mother, I think. It's true because I, yeah, I sort of had to unlearn stuff, but, you know, just learn the context of in a professional capacity, it's actually okay to be sort of quite aggressive and <laughs> and to talk really quickly as well. And I do, yeah, I, as we said, I really do. So, yes, yeah, so definitely um, 
that the turn taking is is a huge thing actually which I have that was really one of the things that I took away mm. that our whole family struggled with and still does um but yeah sort of learning to take turns and respect each other's right to speak it, it's been a really good lesson to take away from it yeah I think it's made especially I think you know modern families and if you live in a big city and you know everyone's working and there's big commutes we're all rushing and actually there's a slowing down if you're taking it seriously in the therapy and supporting your child so the taking turns is part of that everyone just taking a step back and slowing down and treasuring time mm. with each other um i'm certainly i i have i spend a lot of time on my own with each of my children and that's partly because now they're older and they're both at university ironically at the same university but oh, living in separate they must like each and, other that's nice i don't know why they ended up at the same university <laughs> do separate courses but you know my son and i talk a lot about politics he's really interested in the god there's a lot to talk about and i love that we have those conversations direct and with my daughter i'll have separate conversations on our own and then equally we'll get together mm. and um yeah i think i cherish all that time much more because i know that that fluency and conversation and his confidence is something that he hasn't taken for granted all his life. Mm. I mean, I think maybe it makes our children more thoughtful with stammers because they've had to manage all that time when they couldn't express themselves. That yeah. Perhaps they're more thoughtful listeners themselves. I think John is a very good listener. And well, the other thing that was really useful and important for me uh, from the therapy was the importance of praise and positivity and, you know, sort of, I think just remembering not to kind of look worried or be sort of overly concerned um, and certainly to sort of focus on what's going well, I suppose, rather than sort of being negative about it, just to sort of go, oh my gosh, that was amazing. You know, you did, you did really well there, not just about talking, but about all sorts of effort and uh, achievements that, that I think yes. really helped. Yes, and also I think acknowledging where their comfort zone lies, because um, when my son started secondary school, it was actually a brand new school. He was in one of the first years in a new school. And the, the school was very encouraging about getting children to kind of volunteer to do presentations and assembly. There was one other child in the school with the stammer who was very keen to do a presentation and talk about it. And I don't know how it came, it came up, but I think I knew in advance, maybe Aaron was even approached, we were approached, so would Aaron like to talk about it? And he was like, no, <laughs> like, it's not like he was hiding it, but he wasn't interested in getting up on a stage and talking about it, whereas this other child was. And I thought it was really good for me to say, yes, no, you know, he doesn't have to perform. Um, mm. I was the kind of person who I would talk about, you know, I would get back and get on the stage to anything. Um, and my son just, you know, he doesn't feel the need to, wear that identity quite so publicly. I mean, the other interesting thing, which again, we, you know, your child is younger. My son's at the age now where, you know, applying for jobs and work experience and having to do interviews via Zoom, you know, during the last year or so. And of course that's gonna be more normal all the time. People are doing interviews online. And I said to him, do you want to put in your email you just thought you should be aware that I do have a stammer. So if I pausing at the beginning of an answer, that's why just it gives them a chance to understand because if they have, don't know, they've had no experience of stammering, they might think, you know, you don't know what to say and they'll, they'll talk over you. And he mm. went, no, I'm fine. And it's, it was really, I felt I did the right thing where I said, look, do you think it's worth a mention mm, Yeah, for this reason? 
and it was then for him to decide if he wanted to do it or not um so that's the thing which i've learned which is it's okay to make a suggestion um because then you feel you kind of done due diligence but then leave it to them to yeah. make a decision um i don't know if you've had think thoughts like that where you've just thought you know do i say something to my son or do i you know it's different where i can't say it to someone on behalf of my son it's not my role mm -hmm. anymore my son is over 18 but sometimes you know you're not sure are you well and i suppose because you know we've always mentioned it to teachers because you know there, there's always been uh, dialogue between the Michael Palin Centre and the school or the nursery or whatever so that's yeah. been brilliantly helpful but it, it, I now just get little snippets from John if he says oh um you know one of the teachers asked me if I was all right about saying this big thing in assembly and I was like yeah it'll be absolutely fine and you know if I stammer then I'll just start again and so you know I sometimes I, I get these little sort of bits reported back and then there are times when he's he is nervous and and worried about so there, there was one speech he had to give and he was like I just I think I'm not really talking very it's not very easy at the moment mum you know should, should I and I was like well yeah maybe why don't you just say to your teacher just you know I'm concerned and see what they say and the teacher ended up doing the presentation on video anyway and sort of doing a mix of video and live so so, you know, I think the school has just been amazing is my is my takeaway from that. Yeah, oh, Jane um, Roberts is saying this is such a moving, powerful conversation that does not shirk from difficult emotions, guilt, anger, anxiety, and be widely disseminated, particularly to parents. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jane. Um, and I just thought, you know, when I think of the journey that my family's been on over the last decade, and in fact, it's more than that, it's 15 years, in fact, even 17 years since my son was four, and our life is just transformed thanks to the support of action for stammering children um i just feel it's really important to emphasize there are so many children out there who don't know and their families have no idea what to do and they're struggling and mm -hmm. you know the, my, my son's first speech therapist is something to me which haunted me and it's why i got in touch with the Michael Palin Centre and, and was very keen then to get involved in Action for Stammering Children when they asked me to. And she said she had a, an adult client who was a young man in his 20s. She said he has a job, goes out to the pub with his friends after work. None of them know he has a stammer, but he just never talks. Mm. And the idea that someone could have a superficially normal life and somehow people were indifferent to the fact that actually he never talks when we go to the pub. He just sits there quietly and smiles along. Yeah. Horrified me. And I mm. thought, I do not want that for my son. I want, I want them to fully participate. And the fact that my son turned out to have this great wild sense of humor in his jokes was enabled by the therapy. So I cannot emphasize enough why supporting this charity transforms lives. Mm. And particularly for families where, you know, there isn't, you know, I mean, some dare I say, you and I are middle class, pushy mothers, we would have found out somehow what to do. We'd mm. have, you know, done the research and made it work and drawn on our networks to get support where we needed to be able to make the time to go to appointments. A lot of families, you know, they really desperately need that first step and they need support and they need it funded, especially when it feels like there's a competition and there's a hierarchy of serious physical disabilities and stammering defies easy categorization. But, you know, it transforms people's lives if they're not, you know, they're kind of stunted if they're not allowed to find their voice, I think. And it is always amazing when you do a television, you know, when I do a television appearance and mention the charity, it always at least one or two people get in touch. And they're yeah. adults who say, I, you know, it's 
it's been a terrible sort of burden that I've had to carry and I'm so pleased that now children are you know that the awareness is being raised or it's parents who sort of say oh you know we we've been wondering should we get help we need to you know we need to know and of course it's just brilliant to be able to direct them to action for stammering children yeah, and I should say, you know, the one thing that I sort of guarantees about me cries, I don't cry anymore talking about my son and th therapy. It's been long enough and I've seen his life transformed enough that I think the emotions have kind of calmed down a little. But if I'm listening to the radio and some a child with a stammer is talking and they're just, you know, doesn't matter they've got a stammer, they're going to get their thoughts out and they're thoughtful and articulate brings me to tears every time because I'm just so full of admiration and awe for these young people and if you've seen any of our ambassadors who are you know young people some of them in their teens some of them kind of you know university age going on television supporting each other you know giving advice going into schools giving up their own time to sort of make younger children aware look you know you can live with the stammer it's not that it has to disappear it's just learning to, to manage it and to feel confident in your own life um i just think that's all work that the, the, this charity does you know to help young people be ambassadors on behalf of others and to reach out um mm. and I, I just i would like to think we're aiming for a situation where every child and family with stammer knows where to go for support and therapy that can help change their outcomes mm -hmm. you know um Siobhan says it's so important to have this conversation. Thank you so much for sharing. There's a link that Connor's put up to the ASE Stambassadors, who are these young people who are kind of great champions of the charity, and they're all young people who've come through um, the, the courses and uh, the therapy. Um, question from Siobhan, what one thing do you wish you'd known at the beginning of your stammering journey? Um, oh, well, I think, um, I I suppose that it would be a long-term project and uh, that it wasn't going to be a quick fix. But also the kind of positive side of that is that um, I wish that I had known how much support I was going to get and that I wouldn't be left on my own to cope. And that, you know, now I kind of feel that John is getting so much support and so much care. And I really, I mean... I am still a little bit concerned because he is going to go up to a different school mm. and we're in a different area and I don't, you know, I, I'm there. I do have anxieties, but I do think that just by finding like you, Samira, and uh, I, you know, I've I've met loads of people now that I know I could talk to and I know I could phone you up and go, yeah. oh, I'm, yeah, you know, I'm having a bit of a bad day and and I'm I know you'd be amazing. Sure. So, uh... yeah. Well, I think it's really important that as parents, you know, so I thought it was good and refreshing to bring this side of the story because the charity says actually for stammering children, but children come from families and sometimes there's families trouble, there's tensions or divisions or it's a single parent, um, mm -hmm. but they, they're still families and we're all part of the solution and we're also all dealing with the stress if we're not talking about it and sharing it. So I still feel there's a huge amount of awareness to raise. Um, Sharon is saying, I'm sure parents listening to this conversation will gain much hope from what you've been saying. I hope so. I can honestly say, I look back and I think, God, it seemed very dark when my son was very young. I, I just thought, is he ever going to be able to, you know, mm. I'm worried. I'm worried about what was his adult life going to be like. So getting therapy when, whenever you manage to find your way to the actual stammering children and find out about the options and get therapy where you are or come to the Michael Palin Centre, it is never too late to start mm. that journey. 
um, and that's why supporting the charity is so valuable. Um, is there anything else you wanted to add, Lucy? I was going to hand back to, to Stephen after that. And no, I mean, I just am incredibly grateful, and I have, the, you know, the reassurance uh, has been amazing that I've had from the centre and also you do like the role models now because they talk a lot about people like you know like Ed Balls I know does quite a lot for uh, the charity and there are lots of people in public life who now kind of say oh I have had or do have uh, stammering I make a list of celebrities yeah I know I'm out there I spot people (laughs) and I write them down and I email Stephen and Jane and I say oh look Emily Blunt has a stammer and Sam Neill grew up with a stammer who knew Well, and one of my favourite comedians, Daniel Kitson, and it is sort of when I was feeling a little bit worried about John's future, I thought, well, do you know what? He can always, basically, Daniel Kitson just goes on stage and is absolutely sometimes just, uh, he will be stammering and he will just, the audience will be hanging on his every word. And it's just really sort of interesting. And uh, monetize your stammer. (laughs) Yes. Um, Connor's post a link to there's a, a research survey on stammering um so if if you're listening to this conversation and you know you have stammering in your family we'd love you to help fill that in i think it's really important that research is still ongoing and every bit of research we can build helps sort of make the case for more funding for stammering in nhs services uh, but also kind of raising awareness as well um God, I'm so glad that you came and did this and yeah. we'll do loads more and you have to win loads more quizzes. So this, you can hear it first. I've said to Lucy, I want she and I to do pointless together because we're both really competitive. Yes. And I think we could take that jackpot home for ASC. <laughs> I really think so. Um, Hayley says, thank you so much for sharing. Great to listen to other parents' experiences, particularly with such honesty. Thank you. Um, Stephen, do you want to come back and say something thank you i just want to say thank you so much that was uh, a wonderful conversation to listen to and very kind of you and generous of you to share your very personal stories and uh it's very quite quite very moving um one of the things that i think it does prompt these sorts of discussions about what what how much we still don't know about stammering and how how much, and that's a very frightening, confusing place to be as a parent. I should say, no you, stammering in my family. You know, yeah. I know it does often, as Elaine was saying, it can run in families like in Michael Palin's, but it, no one, we couldn't find anyone in our family. So that's why it was like, well, why did it come here into our family? What have you done? You know? yeah. And I think there's there's still so much that we don't know. And we don't, we sort of also don't know what, how, what we don't know again in this. And there's a... Um, there's m- lots of brilliant research that's been been done over the past 30 years that the charity's been in existence. But one of the things we're looking to do is to find out what are the research questions that we really want to answer? Um, and, you know, what is the action for stammering children that we want to see? What action do we want the researchers to be looking at? What aspects of stammering? What aspects of therapy? And that's why we're doing the survey with the James Lind Alliance, which is an academically robust survey to try and find out the right answers. Uh, what are, what's the priority for people who have a stammer or work with people who have a stammer? What's the research they want to see? It's a very short, simple survey. It just says, what are your research priorities? What are the questions you'd like answered? What are the, So any questions that people would like to think they'd like to know about stammering, uh, put them into that survey and then we'll put those into priority order, make sure that all been, if any of them have been, already been answered, take them out and then we'll when we've got a priority list of questions, we can then go to funders and say, right, this is the most important question that the people who have a stammer or the families want answered and Welcome Trust, give us all of your money so we can answer yeah. those questions. 
Well, the other thing I was going to add is I think there's huge underreporting of stammering. I think there are so many people. I mean, Ed Balls himself, you know, we did an event together where it was like he was my kitchen husband. We did a cooking event. He did all the cooking and I just vaguely helped. Um, but he said he was an adult before he realised he had a stammer. And, you know, and 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 because, because it's different, it wasn't um, a sort of on a particular sound, it was actually not being able to get things out. Yeah. And it was a parent at the Michael Palin Centre who said to him, you're a coward, you've got a stammer and you're not admitting it. Um, yeah, so yeah. there's lot, there are lots of, there's lots we don't know. I don't, don't think know. he was a coward though, to be fair, <laughs> that's a bit harsh. <laughs> yes. So uh, yeah, so huge thanks both of you for being such generous with your time and thoughts. It makes a huge difference and it's really helpful to hear these stories. Thank you to everyone else who's attended this evening. Yeah, if people. Uh, could uh, I'd say thank you very much to our guests. Um, thank you to everyone who's already made a donation to the charity. That's massively appreciated. Um, you can go to our website if, uh, if you would feel moved to make another donation uh, or a first donation. That'd be amazing and could support the work uh, the Michael Palin Centre and the wider work that we do as Action for Stammering Children. But once again, thank you both of you so much for oh, a you. lovely talk. And, and thank really... you so much, Action for Stammering Children, the Michael Palin Centre, for what you do. Oh, sorry about that. Let me. That was the Bishop of Leeds ringing me, just so you know. Ooh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> High level. God wants a word. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, thank, thank you. Thank you very much, much indeed. Thank you.